Welcome to Funeral Directors Chat, where funeral professionals discuss industry topics, trends, and news. And now your host, Nancy Bourbon. I'm Nancy Bourbon, your host for Funeral Directors Chat, a podcast providing funeral professionals with insight to current industry topics, news, and trends. Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking to a colleague and a friend, Robin Heppel. He is quite the Renaissance man when it comes to funeral services. He has the distinction of being one of the the first recipient of the Certified Funeral Service Practitioner Award by the Academy of Professional Service Practice in uh, Western Canada. He's also a fourth generation funeral director and he's a funeral celebrant. I'll let him tell you a little bit more about himself. Welcome, Robin. Well, Nancy, thanks a lot uh, for inviting me. This is uh, this is a great p- pleasure. Always always nice to be on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> um, yeah, I I got my uh, uh, my start in funeral service somewhat indirectly. My uh, my mom's side of the family are from uh, uh, just outside of Toronto, Ontario, in Bolton, and uh, I was born and raised here on the west coast in Victoria, BC. But we would spend our summers uh, out at the funeral home, and the motto there at Egan Funeral Home was, "If you can eat, you can. If you can eat and sleep, you can work." So uh, at a young age, I was introduced to funeral service, and um, over the years, we would go back and forth. and And then when I graduated from high school in uh, in Victoria, here I still had dreams of being a NHL goalie, and actually went out to Ontario for the summer to play hockey. And work at uh, a hockey school, and again uh, was was quickly put to work by uh, my grandpa and my uncle Paul. <laughs> and uh, um, I ended up after the summer, I came back here to uh, play hockey, actually in Victoria. And you know, my dad said to me, he "said Well, you're not going to sit around all day." And I said, "Well, I don't know what I'm going to do." And 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 get this, I was so shy that uh, my dad actually phoned down to McCall's funeral home and set up an appointment for me to get a job. So, um, you know, things things have changed over the last 20, 20 plus years. And um, I started uh, right then in that September of uh, 1986, working at working at McCall's, eventually started my apprenticeship and, and got my, uh, my funeral director and my embalmer's license, and started to kind of just, you know, work my way up there at the funeral home uh, here in Victoria. That's great. Um, now you call yourself a born again undertaker. Can you kind of explain what that means? Well, sure. Um, when when you kind of look at the history of a funeral service, you know, over the last a hundred years or or more, um, back then a hundred years ago, my uh, grandfather, my great grandfather, and a lot of other other undertakers at that time were were entrepreneurs, and in the true sense of the word, they weren't just the funeral director. They were the undertaker, and they were the the they had the furniture store, the hardware store. Uh, my grandfather was uh, spent time as a fire chief, and you know, especially in these small towns. And uh, what happened though over the course of a hundred years, as as the industry really matured, we we first then got um, you know we had the funeral homes, and then the funeral really the more established facilities and also from a career perspective they went from you know these the undertakers doing that but also doing other things as well to these one career funeral directors Mm -hmm. and and at the same time the uh, north america was was moving along and 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 doing quite well and even after the the second world war Things were kind of booming in the industry, and and the industry became quite um, profitable for for people. And there there didn't really need to be a lot of innovation. Uh, things in that kind of middle part of the century, things in funeral service didn't change a whole lot compared to what's happened in the last ten years uh, that we've witnessed. So, not that uh, you know, not blaming the people that were in that position because that's they were just doing what they needed to do. The the public at that time were were still fairly religious and were were having services kind of dictated by how you know the uh, the burial rites of the of their 
denomination prescribed, and and they just provided the services. But in the latter half of the of the last century, uh, people started getting a little bit more of independence, and they started putting some of their traditions. They just didn't um, blindly accept their you know their parents' traditions, and they would challenge them. And we we well, we saw that with what happened in the '60s and the '70s with music and 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 all those social things that were happening. And that's when things slowly started to change for funeral service too. And especially what we saw out here in Victoria, um, it's funny, the in the retirement areas, you, you seem to get the trends first because people have left where they grew up and they've come out to retirement and, and they, they, they leave things behind such as um, maybe family burial plots. You know, those are left behind. You can't pack that up with you. But they also leave the kind of those family traditions, whether it be uh, going to church regularly uh, and and other things that they would be expected to do in their home community. They don't really have that that pressure when they're in the, a new uh, a new community. Mm-hmm. And you know, sure, some people carry on those traditions, but there's not the same pressure as there is when when people are in their hometown. So. What's happened, especially what seemed to happen here, was cremation was was very high, um, higher than normal. And one of the things that we had was we weren't able to, um, we had no one to call. We and currently the cremation rate in Victoria overall is over ninety percent. We've kind of we joke around that we don't even we don't even keep track anymore. If a burial family walks in, it's kind of a bonus. Um, so it's. It's something that um, you know we've had to kind of work through, and and then so getting back to to that question, almost have to take on that role of what what those entrepreneurs were doing a hundred years ago, because they you know they would at that time you know there was no history for them to rely upon, so they were just doing what the families requested of them at the time, and you know Grandpa used to say that you know him and his dad would walk out to some farmhouse and embalm the body right in the kitchen and, and, and have the, you know, um, set the person in the, uh, like in the, in the parlor part of the house or in the living room or, or then, and then they would, uh, move the deceased to the church for the service and, and that type of thing. And, and, and we really got really prescribed and, and this was the way in the middle of the century, this is the way that funeral service was done. And we weren't really, um, really open to the suggestions of the of the public well as the balance of power shifted back to uh, the public and, and I'm not just talking about funeral service but all kinds of industries uh, we need to be a little bit more nimble and and uh, be thinking on our feet and and because now we have people have lost loyalty to um, uh, to all kinds of brands, whether it be their car brand or whether it be uh, the brand of clothes that they wear or whether it be the funeral homes that have served them in the past. And and if they're new to a community, there isn't that tradition there either. So there's a lot more to to lose now. Um, and if you just say, well, this is the way we do funeral service and if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Um, people nowadays, especially the younger generation, will they'll go somewhere else. So I like to I like to think of us if we can if we can think back and and act like they did a hundred years ago we wouldn't probably be struggling as much as uh, as a whole of as the industry has in the past ten or fifteen years. Mm-hmm. I know, Robin, you had said um, that many times the third generation undertakers or funeral directors kind of rely on what their parents, what their father or their grandfather did in the past, and they just offer the same kind of services and they do have a clientele because the clientele was built up by their grandparents and by their, their parents and the prior generations. Um, and now uh, we have to reinvent ourselves because we, there are so many different options out there. And especially where you're from with a 90% cremation rate or higher, um, you have to be a little bit creative in thinking of different services to offer the families. Is that right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, um, you know, really, I think you know one one little bit of advice for any any request that you get from 
from a family, you you want to your your the initial response should be yes or um, uh, I'm pretty sure we could do that. Just give me a little bit of time and and, and as long as it's not um, disrespectful at all, uh, why not? Mm-hmm. It's um, and and people you can you can see when people leave funerals that have you know had a lot of um, personal involvement and maybe it's taken a little bit more time on the on the funeral director's part but you might get 150 or 200 people walking away saying wow that's just been that was just an amazing amazing service and um, it's just you can't you can't do business that way of just saying you know here's our services you know take it or leave it um, yeah there's sure there's maybe some pockets in the throughout North America that that could still happen. But I would hope that, you know, most people are, are here to, you know, serve their, serve their client families over serving themselves. And, and just if they have a request of making something a bit more personalized, um, the better. And I don't really like if, if we try to personalize a service, we always link it to putting uh you know, doing something to the casket or something like that. It always goes back to what's more important to us. And, and we should really get that out of the, out of the client family and, and what would make it more personalized to them. And it, and most of the time, Nancy, it's not an expense thing and it doesn't take um, a lot of extra time. It just maybe a little bit, but after a while uh, you're going to, I think funeral homes will, They'll experience um, more positive comments, and and they'll create that like a new brand, not just we've been in business for a hundred years, and I'm a fourth generation funeral director, so do business with me. That's you know that just doesn't fly nowadays. So people, if you could say, wow, I want to go there because they have the they have the greatest services, you know, and we. Uh, just recently, unfortunately, had a, uh, a funeral for my dad last month. I'm sorry, Robert. Well, thanks, Nancy, and and I do appreciate all the uh, comments through Facebook. It's it is amazing to see how um, connected we are as a community. So I've uh, I always appreciate that, and you know, hate to have to go through it on that side, but uh, um, when it happens, it's it's great that we have that network, and and lots of people said, "Wow, that was just." you know, that was one of the best funerals I've ever been to. And they kind of joke, like, I'd never say that that, you know, I never thought that I would say, wow, that was a great funeral. And, um, and it didn't, it wasn't that it was elaborate. Now we did, uh, probably knock down the cremation rate a little bit there. Cause we had, you know, our family is a tr- kind of a traditional minded family. And so we had burial, but, um, with, with that, we, you know, we had, um, myself and my mom and my two sisters and two, um, uh, my dad's nephew and uh, his best friend all spoke. And um, the service was about an hour and 10 minutes long. So people go, wow, that's a long funeral. But people at the end thought they didn't even, they thought, wow, that was, that was quick. They weren't looking at their watch because it wasn't some long, boring service. And and all that it took was a little bit of a little bit of extra organization on our part to make sure that you know we covered what we wanted and and um, I think we did a, you know had a great a great send off mm-hmm. and and it just takes a little bit of extra effort but I think I think what happens is we're we're at this place where we're we're always on the defensive now too and it's part of you know, the way things have gone over the last 20 years in, in the industry. And, you know, because there's price shoppers and there's memorial societies and Neptune societies and, and all these things. So we think we we think that people are are price conscious. And and really I think most people are more value conscious. They if they don't see any value, then they don't want to spend the money. But if they see value, they will they will spend the money. And and I think when when funeral directors are sitting across from a family, if they could just, you know, they sh- they should just take a risk. And I know you and I have talked about this in the past. And though the greatest moments of of my career when I've when I've helped people out when I was working at McCall's and making arrangements and 
and um, and had real impact on the family and and hence everyone that attended. It was those times that you know I you know and we all have this you know that little thought comes to your head. Oh, should I suggest this or not? I don't know. Hmm, okay, you know what? Uh, I I won't. I just you know I don't want to seem pushy. Mm-hmm. But you might be pushy if you're trying to push a. Um, Five thousand or a ten thousand dollar casket in a in a in a little scenario like let's let's forget about the products. But if it was just something like you know I've I've heard you talk about your dad and things like this, um, you know how, how do how could we and just spend a bit of time talking to about the person? And I know this isn't anything new. Uh, you know we hear about it at the conventions of personalizing services and and the celebrant movement is a great is a great thing to, to help foster that mm-hmm. of what uh, Doug and, and Glenda have done. But um, we hear that all the time, but it's, it's not always practiced or, or people aren't, are just a little too afraid to suggest something. And, um, you know, a few times I felt that I've stuck my neck out on the line for, even for viewing, uh, especially from here with the higher cremation rate, we don't have visitations like they do in most other places. Uh, we still have, private family viewings, but they're not common because people don't experience them. And it's so easy just to, um, you know, ask the question, oh, would you like to see your loved one? And and if they say, uh, no, we don't really, we don't want to remember dad, the, you know, mm-hmm. dad, then, okay, and then you just move on to the next question where I think most of we should be obligated if we're, if we've gone through and, and believe in the training that we've done, and you know the benefit of of viewing and saying goodbye, and just say, well, you know, just just give me a couple of minutes, and I'll explain why people do view people when they die, and uh, and just give you some options, and then and then you can make your decision. It would that be okay? And I've never had people say no, don't want to hear. Right. Yeah. You know, they. But it's just saying that one question, and then and then on the other side, people say, oh, I'm so glad that we did. So. And and I'm not the one with the answers. I'm you know we've all got this in us. It's just just taking that that little risk of of or a little nudge. And I think uh, you know those are the little things too that that move the uh, move the industry or the profession forward. And and when when people say you know that funeral director was really helpful and they really created this meaningful tribute to you know for mom or for dad and. Mm-hmm. And if we could do that, I think, I think we would we'd all benefit. But most of the time, we're, you know, whether we're just too busy and we just want to get on, you know, get on with it. And and uh, and I know there's great, awesome funeral directors out there, and and there's there's others that just want to get the job done. And and uh, so we're we're kind of we're kind of stuck. And personally, though, we we have to make a choice. And and doesn't and it. And it doesn't matter what happens really nationally or, or globally. It really, what happens is, you know, it's up to you in your backyard and how you, how you do things and, and you can, you know, individually people can make an impact in their, in their own community. You're absolutely right, Robin. And being a funeral celebrant, you know how important it is to eulogize the person and celebrate the life, not just the past year or two, but I've heard at different um, ceremonies where they had a funeral celebrant, People said, you know, I didn't know he was a Boy Scout leader. I didn't know him when he was in his 20s. That was really nice to get to know him as a person, not just in the past few years that I've known him. Yeah, and I really think that the um, with with the celebrant movement and, and the way um, Doug and Glenda uh, teach it, uh, the... I think the role that the funeral directors could really grab onto is the role of the MC because, you know, we've, we've always stood at the back of the chapel and kind of out of sight, out of mind. And when, when we say that the families say, I don't see any value of having them there at the church. You know, that's, that's the message that they're receiving when we don't do anything. We just stand there at the back and, and now it's even worse because people have, you know, Blackberries and iPhones and they're kind of checking their messages during, uh, during services and things. Um, and sure, I know that sometimes you have to do that during, but not, not the entire time. A few times I've 
had the honor of being a, an MC of a, of a service. And it's a totally different perspective being at the front of the chapel, uh, welcoming people, um, having the minister do their part. And then, then they sit down and, and then you bring up the next, you bring up the family and, and, uh, and then the celebrant and, and the MC would, I think if, if one thing, if we grabbed onto something, and just did that, we wouldn't be kind of out of sight, out of mind, because people will say, and after seeing that for 10 years, they might want to have the funeral in their backyard, but they'll go, well, we need the funeral person there because they're the one that organizes the service because they they see them at the front of the chapel um, directing things, kind of. And I think that's what our, partly where our, um, uh, the name funeral director would have come from is, Directing things instead of instead of just being ushers, I think we can do we can be have it be proactive directors and and so um, I don't mind plugging them at all. Anyone who has the opportunity to to take the celebrant training, it's uh, it's great. But I I think the the MC part of it is most important for the funeral directors. That's an excellent point of view, Robin. I really enjoyed hearing that, and I think that it would give more meaning. And it is a celebration. It's a celebration of a person's life and. It should be treated with as much importance as a wedding or any other service. Absolutely. Now, uh, let's get off the subject a little bit. And um, I'd like to ask you how you started your marketing and consulting firm, a funeral futurist. Great, Nancy. Well, yeah. So when working with McCall's, uh, over time, uh, funeral homes started phoning us for advice because we were kind of going through some of these uh, trends at the forefront and just kind of learning by trial and error and, and testing things. And, and so a lot of times, uh, uh, Dave McCall would, um, say, Oh, well, you know, you can talk to Rob about that, uh, whether it would be like 10 years ago about video tributes when we would make them on PowerPoint and, and have the big laptop in the, in the chapel, uh, to a lot of other things. And at the same time, what was happening was, uh, Dave's uh, nephew, Craig and his son, Trevor were coming into the business and, about three years ago, uh, just felt that it would be a good transition for. I was the the pre need manager there for quite uh, for over ten years, and uh, Craig was coming up into that kind of managerial role. So, and I was getting more, you know, seeing more interest outside of the outside of the um, the business at McCall's, and seeing other opportunities throughout the industry. So, uh, we had a really great transition through there I went back to uh, went back to university and got my uh, my business degree in entrepreneurial management and and then just started uh, doing some consulting writing some articles uh, helping people with uh, their websites I was a Canadian representative for Aldor solutions um, for a few years and and then as my business grew I thought you know even you know even some some of those traditional technology companies weren't really being as entrepreneurial as they could, and they weren't really seeing the social side. I can remember saying, well, how are we going to integrate blogs into these funeral websites? And they said, well, why would you want to blog on a funeral home website? And, and so kind of at that point I thought, well, <laughs> I've heard those kind of responses before, but, you know, before they were from, uh, you know, some funeral home owners and, and managers uh, just in a different context. So, you know, I stepped away from that and, and just started continuing, uh, speaking and, and now really just building, a uh, a, a marketing and strategic consulting company, uh, helping, helping funeral home owners, independent funeral home owners and managers throughout North America. So it's, uh, um, and, and the great thing is it, I continue to be entrepreneurial. We, we, we look at things. And, and the one thing that's kind of funny, Nancy, is that although you know, some people see me as, uh, uh, as a technology expert, um, I, I still say that you know, technology, it, those are just the tools of the day. And we'll just use them as tools. We're not going to you know, build businesses on them. Um, let's, let's use established practices uh, and strategies that have been around for for years and we'll just use the current tool so um, my grandfather 
was very involved in his community in all the social networks. But, you know, back then it wasn't Facebook. It was the Rotary and uh, the Lodge and the church. And, and I'm not saying that you, you know, should give those up. But he, he was successful at what he did because he was, where the peop- he was where the people were at. And we need to do that today. So um, now, as we speak right now, Facebook necessarily isn't the, the long-term answer. But since there's such a, a group of people in, on Facebook, that's where we need to be today. And tomorrow might be something else. But the, strat- the, the strategy and the practice of connecting to your community is no different than what my grandfather did. We're just using a different, uh, you know, a different means, and we're we're just going where the people are. You're absolutely right, Robin. And if people are are not aware of you before the um, emerging need, um, they'll just go through the phone book, or the, in in this case, they'll go through the internet and just pick the first couple names that come up on the on the first page, top of the fold. That's right, and uh, and which gives people an opportunity both to so so you want to be involved in your networks but you also want your networks can also and your especially your online presence can help your uh, your ranking in those google searches and and things like that so those are you know those are very important and and we can't lead with we've been we've been in business for a hundred years and we're fourth generation and and although i'm really proud of of you know my heritage within within the profession um, I can't I don't just sit here and rest on that I have to I have to prove it today and if I'm not proving it every day then people are going to go elsewhere and and funeral homes are um, are no different they probably you know some areas you don't have to be as on the cutting edge as others but but what I've seen now Nancy and how I help even some of my clients is through ways of being online, you can infiltrate the next market over without without that person really even knowing what's going on. Without and they just kind of wonder, wow, it's you know, are we getting less death calls here? Because uh, don't seem to be you know, there's a lot of people going to those other funeral homes, but I guess they were just living in those communities where it's just if pe- people will now go to where they feel they're going to get their best value and where they're, they're going to be best served. Now, uh, Robin, how do funeral directors convey the message in their marketing that they are caring and that they will take better care of the decedent? Um, well, I think overall you can you have all these online resources to do that, and, and examples of that would be um, creating some education-based marketing, um, and especially over brand marketing. The, the brand is established, but we're not we're not brands like – Nike or Budweiser or, or things like that. Um, and, and if we can show people either as becoming our own little expert within our community, if we're the death expert in our community, people are going to look up to that person. And, um, and then with that becomes there's some trust there that you can build trust online and by just being helpful so by educating people, and you can do that through um, through video online. You can do that through frequently asked questions, and and um, I like to call uh, them uh, QSAs, so questions that they should ask. Uh, you 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 have the specific questions that people always ask because that's what they're going to search for. But then you have these other questions that you integrate with them that uh, questions that they would ask or that they should ask, such as. Um, can I still have a viewing if I choose cremation? Because that's probably not on the mind of the person choosing cremation. But if they see that question amongst your other questions, you're educating them. And, and if you're educating them without charging them anything up, you know, for that service, you're going to build trust. And, and like no other bit, like it's always been the same. Um, and you've heard this many times, Nancy, it's about getting people to know you, like you, and trust you. And and funeral services is no different at all, and probably more important to do that because it is a because not only do they want to trust you to look after them, they want to trust you to look after their loved one who has just died. So we can do that online, and and we can't just rest on the the laurels of of what everyone's done in the past. We need to kind of prove it today. 
Um, other ways of doing that are uh, testimonials. Uh, you know, sometimes we're 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 chicken and to ask for people to give us a testimonial, and um, I'll always uh, even and I can relate to this too. But um, Todd Van Beck said this at one seminar that I was uh, attending. And, you know, Todd said, he says, you know, I went to and had cataract surgery and that doctor gave me my sight back and I didn't send him a single thank you card. Mm -hmm. But we help families and every one of us, you know, every funeral director here probably has a shoebox full of thank you cards of what a great job they did and how you helped, you know, help me out at the worst possible time of my life and, and, and so people are our raving fans, and we want to do it tactfully, but we should probably build in some systems in in gathering some testimonials and and sharing, you know, maybe having people give us a review on Google uh, Google Places or on Yelp and you know different services like that. Because again, when people don't, maybe people don't have a relationship with any funeral home, and they they search online. And if one funeral home has a whole bunch of um, reviews and and uh, and testimonials, and they have to be legitimate, they have to be person's full name or um, and you know kind of where they're from. You don't want to disclose privacy issues, but just having someone's initials or things like that, you know, there's a lot of um, you know the BS factor kind right. of goes off in people's minds. Now you, we can't really uh, bluff people like the way people try to do that uh, a few years back. So it's, they've got to be legitimate and, and, and those services too, like Google and Yelp, uh, you know, people have to have registered accounts and things like that. And, and, and I know what's going to come next, Nancy, people are going to say, Oh, well, I don't want to do that. Cause you know, what if there's negative reviews? Well, I say, you know what, all the better. Cause that then gives you an open platform to, um, to communicate with these people and um, and invite them to tr- try to come up with a solution. Now, now, if someone really messed up, then you got to take onus for that. You're collecting, you know, a few thousand or seven several thousand dollars to provide a service, and and uh, if you're not doing a good job, you know, you don't deserve the money. So, but if you're if you make a legitimate mistake and you go and make. Uh, take steps to correct that and communicate with people. And I've, I've witnessed this and I've instructed clients how to do this online, Nancy. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. People will come around and say, I'm so glad you took the time to respond and they'll, they'll take the message down or, uh, and if you go through the right processes, uh, if someone's just kind of flaming your business uh, and you, um, you address that. Um, and if it, if, if you address it and they don't respond, uh, these online companies will then uh, may take that uh, the complainant's uh, response or or statement off because you know you've you've kind of taken the high road and and you've wanted to solve it and they've kind of refused so uh, it can that can work in if you do it right can really work in in a funeral home's advantage um, you just you were just being an open book and and you know we're human too we make mm-hmm. people make mistakes and. And uh, you know, hopefully it's not horrendous, but but those ones too, you you just you need to address them. You can't sweep them under the mat because if they go if they go unaddressed, just you know, there's I don't know how many corporate uh, uh, case studies there are now, such as you know Toyota and and all these companies that didn't. Um, I think and BMW same. You know, things started happening and online, and people started talking, and they just thought it would go away, and it just kept on getting worse and worse and worse. So, um, you need to be able to to nip that in the bud as soon as you can. No, and good examples of that are Dell and Comcast Cares, where they went back on Twitter or Facebook and said, "I'm sorry, I had no idea. How can I make it up to you?" Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and those and those companies then get great following, and they're loyal, and and they there's this person, there's this. Um, it shows that they're just real people too, that they're making mistakes, but they're making an effort to, uh, you know, to do, to make a, to turn a wrong into a right. Right. And even Zappos, um, where they offer, if you're not happy working for Zappos, please let us know. We'll give you $2,000 to resign because they never want to have an unhappy employee because when you have an unhappy employee, um, that permeates into your workforce and it touches every aspect of your business. 
Yeah, and that would that would be a great, you know, it I would I'm sure some funeral homeowners are saying, oh well, I'd never be able to do that. But um if you know, if you could build the all-star all-star team, it's gonna more than pay for itself. And um and people who aren't happy, if you could get rid of those people, because when when you're not looking, they're dealing with families and and uh if they're having bad days, they you know, that doesn't go away at when it when they uh, when they're talking to a family. No, and and we know uh, from our own experience the Bob Biggins in Massachusetts and mm-hmm. John Beckworth in uh, Fort I think it's in uh, Fort Worth, um, Texas. They have four funeral homes, and they have more cases than they can handle because they um, everything is by referral, and they do such an excellent job at funeral services that they get more calls than they can possibly even handle. And when you see people building more funeral homes in their county, it has to be because they're providing such excellent service that people are coming to them through word of mouth. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're going to start brand new and build a firm, uh, you're not going to do it solely um, just on marketing. Uh, You need, you know, well, that whole referral part is part of your overall marketing program anyway. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's, they're not going to, if they're not committed, it's not going to work and it'll just end up being a waste of money. So um, yeah, that's, it's great because, you know, it's funny. There's, um, you know, some people say, well, you know, if you're the funeral futurist, what's going to happen in five years or or what have you? And, and I said, well, you know, it's, it's funny because the, the same prediction is, is around every year. It's, it's some some funeral homes are going to continue to flourish because they get it, and others are going to continue to whine and and moan because, you know, because they they don't they just wish it was the way it was. But um, and that and the funny thing is, and this gets back to the Undertaker part, yeah, you know, they're they're kind of looking back to when it the way it was just a generation ago, but you know, really, if you're you know really true to your heritage, this was happening. 100 years ago and you know things were you know it wasn't super competitive but the business was evolving very rapidly at, at that time and and it's evolving rapidly now and and so it just depends on what uh, what generation you want to link your um, your strategic mentoring to right there was that transition from home funerals and home wakes to funeral homes and so there was a bit of selling if you'd like to call it that, going on back then, and now you almost never hear of a home a home funeral, a home wake. No, not not too often. And although th- those are um, some of the progressive uh, and proactive firms are are offering that, they're you know they look after the main services uh, like the preparation services or that type of thing in their own house, but they can assist people on wherever they want to have the service, whether it's in a uh, in someone's house, in a chapel, a church, or some arena, or mm-hmm. um, you know, even in the, I heard one uh, was in a uh, in a rodeo corral, and uh, you know, everyone went inside in the bleachers for the service, and and you know, we've, there's lots of examples of that. So it should be um, wherever you know, whatever's within you know within reason. Mm-hmm. What what would be the best? And, and this is nothing new. Uh, we People have been talking about this for the last 10 years or so. Now, do you see the cremation rate going up uh, in the, uh, you're in Canada, so we know cremation is very high in Canada. Um, do you see it going up in the United States? Yeah, I think it's going to continue to, um, to increase. And, and again, it's, it's up to, it's going to, it's just going to increase because, out of convenience, out of the more mobile our societies are, the it it just means that they don't have the you know a lot of sixteen plots at the church cemetery for everyone because most of the families left town. So um, you know you can't take that with you. So if you if you're in the Midwest and then you move to San Francisco, sure you might be you might be able to you know have a have the burial back there, but maybe none of the rest of the family's there. And, and maybe they're going to be in San Francisco for a while. And then they're going to move to, um, you know, to, to Florida or, um, you know, the, the Southeast somewhere. So people are, are so, so much more mobile. Uh, cremation 
is is more of an option today to a lot of you know to that transient uh, society. Um, so it's just going to increase, but it doesn't mean that direct cremation is going to increase. And and I truly believe there is vi- is very little direct cremation. Um, what what we call direct cremation is when we're not involved, meaning the funeral home isn't involved in the service. But I'm sure there's other things going on with that family and their their friends. They've just they just don't see the value in us participating in that. You know, they whether whether it's them going out to a restaurant and celebrating the person's life over a meal and and some drinks and dessert. That's you know that's a celebration. It's not in it's not a direct cremation. It is, it is a direct cremation in our eyes, but that's you know our terminology, and we've uh, haven't done a great job of of demonstrating how we can provide more value to the people who want cremation. But and I and that's going to be a kind of a case by case scenario of uh, you know where people are at. But in uh, in Victoria, I can report that uh, the catering revenues. Um, exceed casket revenues and continue to go up. So when you're when you're trending things and you see a line going up, uh, it's always better than lines going down that what we've been seeing over the last few years. So um, you know, I'm not saying you know drop your business and turn it into a, a just a, a catering and reception f- facility, but you need to you need to know that that those those trends are happening and and the reason why that happened if I can explain it Nancy is oh, that no, go ahead sure so you know these people that came and we'll just use Victoria as the example uh, left wherever they were whether they were coming from the prairies or from uh, from the eastern part of, of the country or from uh, from the UK uh, or or Europe or Asia we've got you know in the west coast we've got uh, all kinds of um, uh, cultures here, mm-hmm. but they've they've left their you know they've left those traditions behind, and so they come here and and maybe they don't um, you know they don't choose a church and they choose to to start golfing or fishing or or things like that, and but what happens over time is where traditionally in a lot of those tradition or sorry in those traditional markets people are still really connected to their church and that's where they would have the reception and the church ladies are going to make egg salad sandwiches here. They don't, they didn't have, um, they're not connected to those facilities or those organizations that have those facilities. So at McCall's, as an example, when I started there 25 years ago, uh, they had a fleet of 12 cars and, and I know it cause I had to wash them all. Uh-huh. And we had this huge, uh, they called it the concourse area and we'd, we'd park all the cars in there and, uh, and then roll them out every morning. And then we'd mop this in this huge floor. And it was kind of this ritual, uh, at McCall's. And then, um, what, you know, over time they, we started doing more catering and, and it kind of got into this, well, we don't want to have our catering in the garage, right? Because people knew that the cars were in there. And, you know, bring it up to present day, uh, McCall's has a full commercial kitchen in the facility. They, that, that concourse has, turned, has been turned into a, a full uh, reception area and with a fireplace and very well appointed. And they're down to a fleet of four cars, but they don't. They just they don't need them, and but they've got lots of receptions going on, and um, and and as I said that you know and the, the, well the great thing too is that people enjoy that time. So if people are going to spend, there's probably more value, and this is going to upset some people, but there's probably more value in the long run to the funeral home of the family spending two thousand dollars on catering versus two thousand dollars on a casket because. If if that's the case, and you spend two thousand dollars on catering, that's going to mean that there's 150 people at twelve dollars per person, or or whatever the number is, and so those 150 people are going to be in your facility for an extra hour. So that's a hundred and fifty hours of exposure, and and receptions are are very positive because they're social, and we are we're social creatures. So there's you know, people always love that part 
and um, you know even talking to the uh, the gals that worked at the uh, w- with the catering and actually Dave McCall's wife Debbie and her friend B started started it and they were you know two bubbly ladies and and people just loved it at at the receptions and they'd always leave with being in kind of great spirits even though they were just just at a funeral uh-huh. so. It, there's a very positive impact. Now, again, I want to preface: you can't just change your uh, your operations today if you're at 30% cremation and and go to that model. But you you need to factor that um, you know start putting some of those things in, and maybe it's just getting a deal with a local restaurant, and you have a couple staff members at the restaurant helping out the wait staff or or at least being present and and so that you can kind of continue continue that good you can be part of that good spirit that's going on and people also if they they want their funerals to replicate the positive funeral the positive experience that they just went through exactly (laughs) i've heard i had this probably the greatest compliment i ever got um for a, a service that i did as a as a celebrant and an MC. um a guy came up to me afterwards and he said rob i don't want to have a funeral but I want to have one of those. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I think, you know, and it, to us, it was, you know, if it was how we defined a funeral, it would have been a funeral. The casket was there and, mm-hmm. and all that, but um, it, it was just that it was meaningful and there was activity and it, it, and, and all those extra little things didn't cost anything. It was just um, the funeral, you know, us knowing what we could do and, and, uh, having you know, having people prepared when they come up to speak, and uh, I know when working with my sisters on for my dad's service, I said if you're going to speak, you got to write it all out, and I want you to write it out, and we're going to work on it, and uh, and then you know fine tune it, and and um, and just make sure that we have a great consistent message, and we as as Doug and Glenda say, we had a theme mm-hmm. uh, for the service. My dad was, uh, he was a teacher and he, he, he was teaching people up until, you know, up until he died. He, he always wanted to just share, share knowledge. And, and also he learned too. So we just wove that into the entire, uh, the entire service. And, and, and so it was, it just flowed really nice instead of having something just kind of thrown together. And, and again, it just takes a little bit more effort, but not a lot. And, in the end, people will, uh, you know, all those people that attended will uh, will thank the funeral home for doing that. Or they'll say, well, you know, I want to go there because, you know, those funerals that they have there are amazing. You know, way better than those other ones when we go to the other place. Right. And as Joe Sehe often says, our job as funeral service practitioners is to honor the dead and heal the living. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And 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 with that, we can do both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Robin, where are you going to be in your travels the next few months? Well, Nancy, I've got, it's it's a busy spring, that's for sure. Uh, uh, so in March, we've got the uh, ICCFA in in Vegas. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm uh, having I'm I'm co-presenting with my friend Nevin Mann on uh, social media in 15 minutes a day. So it's going to, going to be good. Cause I know that a lot of people think that, uh, Oh, I don't want to get on Facebook or I don't want my staff on there. Cause they're going to be on there for uh, 55 minutes a day as, as the average is. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, and then April, I, we've got our, our BC convention. So British Columbia convention in, in beautiful Kelowna then, uh, and it's almost like week to week. Then I'm at Utah the next week for their hundredth anniversary, um, celebration, then uh, at the end of the month, I'm in Ohio, uh, and so that's in April. And then we've got our uh, the Canadian National Convention way out on the East Coast in St. John, New Brunswick, and that's the um, the FSAC convention. And um, and and then we've we we always offer our uh, we have our monthly CEU webinars uh, that are people like because they can they still get that interactivity of a live event, but. Um, but they don't have to go anywhere for it, um, and uh, and it's just a convenient way of getting your CEUs. Mm-hmm. And um, and then also too that we're just putting together is 
a very comprehensive marketing uh, event uh, for September. So uh, people can uh, stay tuned for those more details. But it'll be um, a complete business pl- uh, marketing, a complete marketing plan that people walk away from for that for you know for their coming year. And and I think it'll be it's going to be really interesting because we're going to tie in you know the traditional forms of marketing and integrate that with uh, the n- new media marketing and 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 just making that consistent and also not a headache because I think that's what people are finding now is all this stuff online um, although it's great it can be a headache and and they just don't they don't know what to do because they don't have a plan so we're going to put the entire thing together sounds exciting now if our listeners want to get more information from you how can they do that Robin um, well, for the CEUs, you can go to funeraldirectorceus.com. And uh, for for marketing and, and strategy opinions and, and resources, just go to uh, funeralfuturisttips.com and you can watch some free videos there and download my free marketing sheet. So that's funeralfuturisttips.com. And your email address, if you don't mind sharing? Sure, is uh, robin at funeralfuturist.com and you're on facebook as well facebook at um facebook.com forward slash funeral futurist terrific terrific yeah is there anything you'd like to add robin um well nancy i could probably go <laughs> you know you 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 got you, you we uh, i think we picked a great topic and i'm really passionate about uh, about this but i i think we'll just leave it at that for now and and i just really appreciate your time today and and our conversations that we've had in the past. And, and uh, this is a great podcast, your, your whole series. So keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Robin. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you today. Ordering cremation urns for your funeral home is easy with unitedpriority.com. Email your client an earned description from our website or receive tier pricing when ordering more than one item. Help your clients find the right earn with UnitedPriority.com.